0: Welcome back to Halford and Bruff SportsNet 650 Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair filling in for Halford and Bruff they'll be back on the air after the Labor Day long weekend next week. the official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers experience the Delari difference today. Uh, we have a full guest list later on in the show. 7.30, Mike Tannier from Football Outsiders is going to join us. At 8 o'clock, Bruce Boudreaux, the Canucks head coach, will be on the show. And at 8.30, David Quadrelli. So we'll try to sprinkle in what we learned after our guests in the 8 o'clock hour, maybe even after a little bit after Mike at 7.30. Get your submissions in. Hashtag WWL. Uh, what you learned in the last 24 hours in the world of sports 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line and I've been uh Ripping Izzy And, and Andy and Lena this week For not coming with A prepared what we learned
1: hey, I did yesterday uh, yeah the, the shoes on and the other Monday foot. to be perfectly fair To me That is normally the last segment thing and you Sprung it on that's me that's true I put you a on the segment spot Early I put
0: you on the spot Uh That's that's my bad but uh the shoes on the other foot this time because yeah. I do not have one prepared yet. But I do. I'm working. I'm furiously. ready to go. We I'm can working. do it right now. <laughs> no, we're not going to do it right now. But I'm proud of you, Izzy. I am working furiously uh, to find something interesting to include in what we learned during the commercial breaks. But good on you for coming prepared. The good thing is, I'm the one who throws into the segment, so I can always I, I can just direct it to somebody else. Right? I don't. I, I'm not going to put myself on the spot. I can just call for what yeah, we learned and then be exactly. like, Izzy, you're up first. Hey, dog, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I can I can deflect away from me. But anyways, get your uh, what we learned submissions in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So not a lot of NHL news... <laughs> these days is as as you know you know a lot of NHL decision makers they take a big chunk of august off now as we get closer to september and training camp we'll probably see a trickle of news rfas all that but an interesting deal handed out yesterday uh, by the buffalo sabers tage thompson the center getting the 7 year extension uh worth just a hair I believe literally one dollar under 50 million dollars. So it's a seven year deal uh 7.1 is the AAV on that deal. and you know a little bit surprising at least at first when I saw the number and the term, but then you kind of double back and you think about it and there's basically there's basically three things you need to know about Tage Thompson to explain or maybe even two things you need to know to explain that deal. He's 6 foot 7 and he scored 38 goals last year. <laughs> and if you have those two things under your belt,
1: if you have those and two attributes, and he plays for the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, and
0: he plays for the Buffalo Sabres. If you have those two things going for you, you're setting yourself up to do very, very well in the NHL.
1: Totally. And I mean, I think the reaction across the board, at least generally, is that it's quite a bit of money yep. for one Big goal scoring season, but that's uh, that that is how players are going to get paid. Thirty eight goals is a lot (laughs) for for a player who's you know supposed to be uh, an impact guy. He's part of this nucleus that they're that they're building around in Buffalo. Um, But I'm I'm sure that uh, free agents around the league uh, are guys who are going to be free agents, Mm -hmm. probably pretty happy to see that deal.
0: Yeah, and. You know, he still has one year left on his entry-level deal, uh, so this will kick in in the 2023-24 season. Look, I get it. You know, you have a young a young player who you think is going to be an impact guy. He has that goal-scoring season. The temptation is to lock him up. I would look at it and think, okay, his shooting percentage took a massive spike last year. It did. Realistically. How much is that going to continue? And and especially, it's not as if he was an RFA this offseason, right? He's not an RFA till next year. So Hmm. maybe he has not. Maybe he scores, you know, 24 goals, 25 goals next season, and you get a little bit of break uh, on the price if you do it at that point. But, hey, I also understand it's Buffalo – they're the type of team that wants those kind of good news stories of "Hey, we locked this guy up." So I understand it. Strike while the iron is hot, and and who knows if the cap starts to go up dramatically in the next two or three years here, maybe we're looking at it in a completely different way. The interesting, the most interesting thing about this, from from our perspective, I think from a Canucks perspective, is you know you immediately you look at that deal for Tage Thompson and again. This is a guy who you know 68 points albeit 38 goals last year did not have a track record at all of producing in the NHL level prior to last season right like not at all gets paid on the back of that one big deal and it's hard not to look at it and think where is the Elias Patterson Elias Patterson's next contract going right especially if he lives up to the expectations that exist for him in this market the the standard that he's set in his NHL career so far, right? In his rookie season, in the 2019-2020 season as part of the lotto line, and in the second half of last year. And look, yeah, there's a a kind of season and a half gap there where it wasn't what you wanted it to be, but the bulk of his NHL career has been extremely productive. And, you know, if Elias Pettersson is around that point per game mark, if he's at 30 goals again over the next couple of years, 30 Mm -hmm. goals per season, you look at what Tage Thompson just got on the back of one Thirty-eight goal year. Well, if Elias Pettersson has a track record of, you know, five, six years of being a consistent, high-end point producer in the NHL, who also is a really effective play driver, and you're not going to be buying out RFA years. I think one RFA year is going to be bought out on Elias Pettersson's next contract. It's mostly going to be UFA years. What are these deals? And it's not just the Tage Thompson deal. You know, Harmon Dial made the good point that you could look at uh, on Twitter. You could look at the Josh Norris deal. You could look at the Robert Thomas deal. Like, guys getting paid on the backs of basically one big year. Patterson has a chance to really set himself up. If he he plays well these next two years, his track record is going to be so much stronger than those players. He's going to be able to command significantly more more money as a result.
1: We just finished talking about Vlad Guerrero Jr. and the kind of contract that he might get. And you look at the numbers and last year, you know, incredible MVP runner-up year. And then this year is a bit of a down year. And it's kind of similar to Lea's Pedersen, where it's like when you're in the fan base and you're invested in that player, you you ride those ups and downs a lot more. And even through that period of time that you mentioned, Jamie, where Petterson was not the elite player no. that we saw in the early parts of his career. Yes, there was some criticism there was some disappointment there was this idea that maybe he wasn't what he was promised to be but the truth is that the players that had produced like he did the first two years of his career they they those those players don't drop off like that like no. there was no statistical precedent to expect that he would drop off and then last year Yes, the start was tough, but he ends up thirty-two goals, thirty-six assists, mm-hmm. sixty eight points. You know how many points Tage Thompson had 68. last year? Sixty-eight points. And that's with two years prior to that, uh, with with sixty-six points in both years. If he has another big year, the contract's gonna be massive. Yeah. And it's it, it goes to show that for all the the little slights about his game that were built up over that period of time, the body of work is The elite one, and it's it's again similar to Vlad Guerrero Jr., where you know what this player can be because the the numbers are not flash in the pan numbers, and there might be that concern with Tage Thompson. I certainly don't have the concern about Elias Patterson, and that that's gonna be it's gonna be a whopper contract.
0: Well, and you just look at it, and as you said, even with the perceived ups and downs, his total NHL track record. He has 221 points in 245 games. That's really, really good for your first four years in the NHL as a young player. He's still only 23. He'll turn 24 in November. 221 points in 245 games is a really, really impressive, consistent scoring record. And that's, uh, again, Tage Thompson has 103 points in 223
1: okay. games. And also, I mean, not even this close. This doesn't matter necessarily for the contract, but 17 playoff games, 18 points.
0: Yeah. Oh. That's significant, and as much as we can look at it and say, you know, Elias Petterson still has questions to answer after last season, and I think that's fair, and I think it's fair to see, does he take a step forward? What kind of role does he play on the team this year? Does he grow into more of a role as a leader on the team? I think all of those are very fair questions. From a raw statistical standpoint and a raw dollars and cents standpoint, He set himself up, even if he just matches the level he's already performed at in his career, which again is very, very good. He has set himself up to ma- have a very, very large next contract in a couple of seasons when this one expires, and I think probably fans and and us who cover the team need to really start consistently wrapping our heads around that fact. Right again, it's fair to have questions about what his ultimate ceiling is going to be, but he's already put himself in a position to cash in on his next deal, and certainly from Canucks management perspective, and I'm sure they're they're aware of this. That has to factor into everything you do over the next couple of years, right? Knowing that, okay, Elias Pettersson has earned a big deal. He's the type of player you want to give a big deal to, or certainly I believe that he is. He's the type of player you want to keep around and build around. What does that mean? What can we do now in the run-up to that deal to make sure we can give Pettersson the contract he's earned and still put a competitive team on the ice? And I think... You know, not to bring everything back to JT Miller, but that's part of the conversation (laughs) with JT Miller. You You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Because if if JT Miller was the only big contract expenditure that you had to hand out over the next three years, then sure, you do that deal. But it's not just JT Miller. It's Bo Horvat. And then more significantly than that, in a couple of years it's Elias Patterson who's going to take up a big chunk of your salary cap.
1: There's no doubt. And that is the next big decision. The Miller is a stepping stone to that. And look, I think we, yesterday we talked to Quinn Hughes, and there was some divisiveness about what Quinn Hughes' ceiling is. Is he true number one? Uh, I thought about it a little bit after the show and think maybe it was just uh, a rogue texter or two. And that <laughs> the, the idea is still that Quinn Hughes is, yeah. I mean, maybe there's a silent majority out there that really believes that Quinn Hughes can't be a true number one because he's not big, et etc. et cetera. I, But those uh, you've you've done post game shows, you've seen the oh, texts. Yeah. That come in on Pedersen, there is a portion of the fan base that's not going to be convinced until, I guess, he leaves absolutely no doubt. And to your point about, are there questions that are unanswered to this point? Yes. Mm -hmm. But they're not the major questions. There's no question about his
0: baseline ability to produce in the NHL. He's established that, and it's really high, right? There's other questions beyond that that can kind of push him from, you know, look, a top 20 center to a top 10, top 5 center in the NHL. But if you're a top 20 center in the NHL, you're going to make a lot of money on your next contract. That's how it works. And so as much as the Canucks need him to, or might need him to elevate to that top 10, top five level, those are the questions we're not, we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, is he one of the best in his position? We've already established that, and that's the kind of thing that gets guys paid.
1: Definitely. And I, I'd love to see it this year, of course, if that's the, the kind of leave no doubt, establish yourself at that top-level season the Pedersen can have. And I, 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 think he, I think he can have it. You know, the guy that we're going to talk to uh, uh, at the start of the mm-hmm. 8 o'clock hour mm-hmm. is going to have, I think, some say in that as well. i will be curious to hear w- what he thinks about Elias Pedersen. He was asked about him a lot, obviously, when he took over because a big part of the reason yeah. the team was not playing well was the Pedersen wasn't uh, performing at a, at a high level.
0: And I think you could argue that a big reason... Bruce Boudreaux ended up as the Canucks head coach. I mean, obviously he was one of the biggest names available on the market at that time of the season, but you look specifically at his track record and how high-end offensive players have performed under him, and that wasn't happening for the Canucks with Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson. I think... In some ways, he was brought in specifically to get those guys going. And it was really interesting because with Brock Besser, you saw it immediately, right? He started scoring right after Bruce Boudreau came in. And I think some of that is puck luck. Maybe some of that is just a jolt of confidence. With Elias Pedersen, there was a bit of a lag. You know, Boudreau comes in early December. Pedersen's season really takes off kind of mid-January. So who knows if it was Boudreau specifically, if it was Pedersen getting healthy, if it was just Pedersen regaining the confidence. But whatever the case... Pedersen's final half of the year was exceptional last season. And if there was something that Bruce Boudreau was doing to help unlock that, and if Pedersen continues that level of play, I mean, that's hugely significant, obviously, for the Canucks on the ice, for the playoff chase this year. It's a big deal for the rest of Pedersen's career. But you're right. That is one of the, for me, that's one of the big questions going into the season is, can Pedersen find a way to sustain that? And what can Bruce Boudreau and the coaching staff do to help him
1: sustain that level? And what's the best way around him to to get that out, right? We we talk about, do you have the depth down the middle? Do you play Miller at center and Horvat at center and Pedersen at center? And now that you have a few more options, one of them is, I would say, mostly established Mm -hmm. in Kiev and then in Kuzmenko. You don't really necessarily know what you're going to get, but there's a feeling that... That could be a fit that the ceiling is is pretty high, and he's obviously going to be a motivated player with the one year deal and the, the ability to cash in off that. So, lots to dig into there. And, like, when we've seen the best Bruce Boudreaux teams, some of them, yeah, th- those Ducks teams in particular had a bit of bite that yep. maybe this team doesn't have. But the consistency was star players at the top of the lineup and a lot of depth and ability to have interchangeable pieces and to and to to maintain sort of a, a a relentless pace if you will but not necessarily with kind of forechecking and things like that like it's a relentless downhill pace yeah. of we want the puck and we're going we're going to try to make things happen with it and we know that the Canucks w- during this recent era have been at their best when that's what Elias Petterson is doing and when he's the one leading it
0: i think you know, the Bruce Boudreau conversation is a really interesting one. And, and uh, we're going to speak to the uh, Canucks head coach at 8 o'clock here on Halford & Brough on Sportsnet 650. So make sure you tune in for that. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. But there's been so much chatter this offseason, Izzy, about obviously the JT Miller situation. But also about the roster construction in general. And, and what is the front office going to do? What's management's vision for the team? When are they going to put their stamp on this roster and really show us what the path forward is going to look like. I do think it's kind of flown under the radar that, you know, we're about to see Bruce Boudreaux's first training camp with this team. There's a, a largely a new coaching staff in place, right? With Trent Cole getting the promotion and Mike Yo coming in to join Boudreaux's staff. I think normally that would have been a much bigger deal over the summer than it has been this year because we grew very accustomed to the Travis Green training camp, right? The bag skate and all of that. <laughs> What's it going to look like for Bruce Boudreau? That's one of the things we'll get into with, with him. But also, how much can he change the actual kind of systems and tactics of how this team's placed? Because when he came in last year, it's so hard to make those changes in the middle of the season. It was more about, I think, confidence. You know, there's maybe a more aggressive forecheck. You could say that. Maybe they Mm -hmm. changed some things up on the penalty kill. There's more around the edges. I'm very curious to see what it looks like because, remember, we heard the front office. We heard Jim Rutherford and Patrick Valvian say, we want to play with more structure. There's some system things we want to do differently. We're going to work with Bruce Boudreaux on Mm -hmm. that. How significant are those changes? What do they look like? How early do we see them? I think those are some fascinating questions that we're going to start to get answers to uh, in training camp here.
1: Structure's been the buzzword from management in regard to Boudreaux and the way that they want this team to play and and the way that that relationship is going to evolve. And so that is, yeah, I think really fascinating. And to go back to Pedersen, there's no concern on my end that he's a player that can play within that structure, right? It's not like we're talking about a player who is a young, exciting player who thrives on, on the outside of that. Like now he's, he's such a cerebral player Mm -hmm. that it's not, it's not like you have to bring in a coach to get him to buy in on that. Now, maybe you have to have a coach who can connect with him and get him to excel within that structure. But it's not, it's not like a a total sell job of, Hey, no, you you know, this is, you, you need to kind of change the way that you're, you're playing because we know, um, but when he's, when he's on, he, he's the type of player who can make great plays in the defensive zone and, and and make amazing reads in the neutral zone and things like that. So to get the best out of that, and he still is a young player and there's still little things that he can improve, I'm sure. But what that message is and then also what that means for, let's just say hypothetically, Miller and Horvat yep. are, are playing at center. Okay, well, what does that look like? What do the matchups look like? And is, is that the best... Is that the best way forward for this group? I, I imagine that's the way that they'll start the season. I still have a, a bit of a hankering to see maybe not necessarily the lotto line, but Miller and, and Patterson play together because in 2019-20, it was, it was a top five line in the league. And if you have that, and I know it wasn't it certainly wasn't the case in the Canadian division year, it wasn't the case last year whenever those that unit was together or that duo was together uh, that they performed at that level. Uh, and some, and sometimes things go away. Like for a while, Alex Edler and Chris Tanev were a yep. great shutdown pair. And then all of a sudden, after a couple of years, that wasn't the case any longer. Things do change. But with Pedersen still growing, with Miller right in the middle of his prime, you would think that, okay, if you have the, the building blocks for a line that could be a top five, top 10 line in the league, it's probably still worth exploring. But look, they've got a lot of other wingers to pick from now. They've so got options. They're it, deep it at the way. Yeah,
0: they are. and. Again, as we talked about earlier in the week, if you if you shift one of them to the wing, it opens up that hole at third line center. Who do you who do you have that you're comfortable putting there? But at least there's the options to tinker with. The other really fascinating thing about Bruce Boudreau going into this season is his approval rating is still <laughs> through the roof. I think with Canucks fans, right? And and we all remember, you know, the immediate Bruce, there it is phenomenon, and and how the vibes shifted around the team and. How just kind of engaging and compelling Boudreaux's personality was with the media and how fans latched onto that. You know, even you think back to the year-end press conferences and there was a lot of, I don't want to say shock, but kind of, there's surprise, I think, when he wasn't extended. When when fans heard some of the things that management had to say about him. And I don't think that approval rating has dipped for Bruce Boudreaux at all over the summer. I think fans are still all on board, still very, very high on the coach. And this can be a tough market for a coach, as we know, as, as we found out last year, or Travis Green <laughs> found out last season, when the team struggled. I'm really fascinated to see what the reaction is, if and when this team goes in a slump. Because, look, I think they're going to be a competitive team, but they'll have ups and downs, right? And in the past, the kind of knee-jerk reaction is, oh, blame the coach, right? What's the coach doing? What's the coach doing? I don't know if we're going to see that this year. And I think especially because Boudreau is so much newer in his Canucks tenure than the players are, right? Than Horvat, Miller, Pedersen, Besser are. I think you're going to see a lot more fan ire directed at the players, directed at management for not shaking up the roster more. When the first slump comes around, Than you are going to see at Bruce Boudreau.
1: It's a really fascinating part of the equation, right? Where because of the goodwill built up, because of that personality and the way that he wants to play the game. Bruce Boudreaux bought himself a ton of oh, yeah. the fan base and it's if if there is a slide, if there is a slip at the beginning of the year. I don't yeah, the knives are not gonna come for oh, Bruce no. Boudreaux. They're definitely not. And that is that's a that's a challenge for management. Just like not even just in hockey, but like, you know, strictly speaking, when an employee has that kind of sway <laughs> with the public, it makes the decision making much more difficult. And that was part of the reason that when they handled the, the what the future is gonna look like, what kind of contract is this going to be. In the way that they did, it said a lot about the confidence that they have and what they're trying to do. That said, when you're in the middle of the season and things aren't going well in a market like Vancouver and the coach is not the easy out, nope. it's unusual, man. It, it really is very is. unusual because you're
0: you're right. I don't think it's going to stick to them in the same way that we normally see it uh, stick to coaches here in Vancouver or another big hockey markets. It is Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. Concerts West presents Pink Floyd's Roger Waters live in the round September 15th at Rogers Arena. Get your tickets now at RogerWaters.com. More on the way. We'll shift and talk a little bit of NFL. Mike Tannier from Football Outsiders. It was cut day yesterday around the league. We'll talk about some of the interesting situations going into the start of the regular season in week one upcoming. That's coming up next. It is Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650.
1: Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol.
0: Welcome back to the show. It is Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650. The official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari Family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. We are half an hour away from being joined by the Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau. Uh, very much looking forward to that conversation. So make sure you keep it locked here on Sports Sportsnet 650. Uh, before we do that, though, we're going to talk a little NFL with one of our favorites, Mike Tannier of Football Outsiders. Mike, thanks as always for doing this. How are you?
2: Great to be here. Happy to have finally made the 53 man roster.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you survived cut day. It must feel good, right? <laughs> barely, barely
2: survived, but we're here now.
0: Hey, man, if you're number one or number 53, you're still on the roster. That's my philosophy, anyways. So we're all here. We're all accounted for. Good for us. Um, One of the surprise guys to remain on his team's roster ahead of the final cuts going into the regular season, uh, I think it's fair to say, is uh, Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. Going to be sticking around as the highest paid backup quarterback in the NFL not the not the resolution that I think a lot of people expected when they traded up to get Trey Lance. But what do you make of that situation? And, and was it ultimately the right call, uh, given given the the overall situation for San Francisco?
2: It, it wasn't the resolution. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo or the Forty ers or Trey Lance or Kyle Shanahan expected either. But you know, as, as fans or as, as... Outsiders, we will look at Jimmy Garoppolo and say, well, why didn't they trade him for you know, a second round pick or something like that? And the answer is, you know, they went around the NFL for, for weeks and they didn't get a second round pick as they offer. They got, you know, a conditional sixth or conditional seventh because most teams. Both their quarterback rooms and their payrolls, and that's a big thing when you're talking about a veteran quarterback, are full, and they, they weren't interested in like a one-year rental of Jimmy Garoppolo. The teams who have their you know, caretaker, game manager, quarterbacks, their Mitch Trubisky, so to speak, have them, and they're just going to go with what they got. So the 49ers were stuck, and they said, well, uh, let's, let's lower his salary and bring him back in. Now, you know, at first blush, this looks like a big drama. This looks like a thing. Well, they're not satisfied with Trey Lance. He wasn't great in the off season. Jimmy Garoppolo is looking over their shoulder, over his shoulder. Every indication is that the 49ers are done with Garoppolo. They were they were quietly, you know, rumored sandbagging rumors about how you know he doesn't even talk to talk to his coaches in the off season and things like that. They didn't have him in the building for most of training camp. They are done with him, but he is you know still on the payroll. Still knows the playbook. Is still better than Nate Sudfeld. Huh. If, if if Trey Lance gets hurt for a couple weeks, so they keep him around. So a little bit of a relationship of a convenience, a little bit of strange bedfellows, but it makes sense when you really look at the dollars and cents of things.
0: Well, and and from Garoppolo's perspective, I mean, not a bad outcome for him. He still gets the decent payday of being, you know, I mean, decent, very good payday of being the highest paid backup QB in the league. And then he gets to hit unrestricted free agency in the off season when, as you said, if, if he had been cut this week, as you said, you know, teams have their quarterback situation settled. They have their payroll settled. It's very different than going in to the offseason as, you know, one of the big-name quarterbacks on the unrestricted free agency market.
2: That's exactly it. He takes this pay cut and says, you know, next year the Giants may be looking for a quarterback. Uh, they'll be done with Daniel Jones. And even if it's a bridge, even if they just want somebody for a year, I can make X million dollars doing that. You know, Washington commanders may be looking for a quarterback. The Buccaneers may be looking for a quarterback. Tom Brady retires. There's a lot of scenarios that can go a lot of different ways next year, Seahawks, et cetera. That's next year. Fresh payrolls, fresh circumstances, contracts expiring. He'll be able to write his ticket. 49ers could wind up with a compensatory pick if he signs elsewhere and other things break the right way. So it makes sense, again, for everybody – to just sort of like grin and bear it for, for this season. And and again, remember the 49ers have playoff aspirations. They were in the championship next uh, le- uh, next uh, last year. So if they come out and say, oh, Lance is hurt for four games, insert Garoppolo, again, that's better than insert any other alternative that the 49ers could have offered.
1: In principle, I think it makes a ton of sense, and it is one of those things that, of course, you'd like to have an established quarterback as a backup. But in practice, at least, the way that we've seen it through the history of the NFL, it, yeah. it, it can often be complicated when you have an established backup quarterback who has an emotional connection with the team and the <laughs> fan base and, and a young quarterback trying to establish himself in the NFL. Do you have any of those concerns that if if Lance struggles, that there's going to be that back and forth about who should be the Niners quarterback?
2: Oh, I guarantee that the 49ers blogs and 49ers Twitter and the 49ers fans will go – Cuckoo bananas. They were cuckoo bananas all of last year with Garoppolo and Lance in the room. I would have more concern if it wasn't a hundred percent clear how done. With Garoppolo, Shanahan, and the organization, <laughs> right. you know they bring him in in uh, in in July and say, you know, you don't really have to come to training camp. It's fine, you know. They again, this rumor spreads. Or we don't know who spread the rumor, but it sure sounds like a Shanahan rumor that says you know, the coaches couldn't even get a hold of Jimmy Garoppolo at times during the off season. They they they're done with this individual. So this idea that they're going to go running back him at the first sign of trouble—that's not the case now. If there's real, real, real trouble, like Trey Lance goes out there and lays an absolute egg, then you're in a different set of circumstances. But, again, if Trey Lance goes out there and lead, and, and really lays an egg, that's an organizational-wide problem anyway, and that's something I don't think that the 49ers want to contemplate right at this time. Uh,
0: one of the other notable moves we saw yesterday around the NFL, Mike, was uh, the Philadelphia Eagles going up and acquiring Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from the Saints to bolster... Their secondary. It's very interesting because I think Philly has been pretty aggressive building out that roster but I also think it's fair to say that there's maybe questions about uh, Jalen Hurts and his ultimate ceiling still at quarterback. What do you make of the fit with Gardner Johnson there in Philly and also I mean, how much, what's their ceiling with Jalen Hurts under center?
2: Well, that's the thing about the Eagles. They're kind of built to A, insulate themselves if Jalen Hurts just has another year like last year where he does some things well but is not a very good deep passer, not a good passer over the middle. If that's the, 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 the case, then they've got this really solid defense now. They've added, you know, James Bradbury and Chelsea Gardner-Thompson and uh, Hassan Riddick, and, you know, they added uh, A.J. Brown. They, they've really insulated. If Hertz takes a small step forward and becomes a little more consistent downfield passer, passer over the middle, they build a legitimate Super Bowl team that can kind of stay in that competitive window for a year or two. And if Jalen Hurts completely falls apart, which is not really what anyone's anticipating. But, hey, it happened to Carson Wentz a couple of years ago in Philadelphia. If he falls apart, this is a team that's built a strong defense, has some young talent, built a strong receiving core, and has two first-round picks, they'll know. You'll be able to see on the field, this is the problem here, and we have to swap this out. So Eagles have put together a unique situation where they have a solution to every potential problem along the way, and that solution is viable and keeps them with a strong roster and, and in the playoff picture.
1: The Eagles finished second in the NFC East last year to Dallas, a team that won, they won 12 games. And the thing with the Cowboys, it, it seems like it's probably been this way for going on nearly 30 years at this point. But whenever they have uh, a good season, they don't really build off of it. There's been a lot of stop start. Uh, I look at them this year with from Mike McCarthy to Dak Prescott to uh, what, what the defense might look like this year. They've got a ton of questions, even though they're coming off of, of a pretty darn good year. What, what are your expectations for the Dallas Cowboys?
2: My favorite Dallas Cowboys story of the offseason is that they drafted Tyson Smith, a left tackle, in the first round. And then Tyron Smith, the left tackle, gets injured. And they can't figure out who should replace Tyron Smith. Even though they drafted a left tackle in the first <laughs> round, they I mean Tyson Smith. It's very Only Cowboys. The- Only the Cowboys can't connect the dots at this level. Now they have, by the way, announced Tyson Smith is probably probably, uh, the starter after a week of trying to figure out this really difficult logic puzzle at the back of a Highlights magazine. But you said it best. This is a team that doesn't build on their success. They had a successful season last year. And, you know, like uh, the Bills had a successful season and said, hey, let's get Von Miller and, you know, uh, the 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 – uh, Chargers had a successful season, said, let's get Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson. The Cowboys are like, let's trade Amari Cooper. Let's, let's, let's get rid of Randy Gregory. Let's weaken things. Nobody does it like them. And I, I'll tell you, Football Outsiders' almanac, uh, in our projections, we lean towards the Eagles to win the division. Uh, Aaron Schatz, the, uh, the founder and president of Football Outsiders, picked the Eagles to be a Super Bowl team this year. They picked the, the NFC pick. So there's a lot of reasons to think the Cowboys, Obviously, are going to be solid with Dak Prescott, but it's going to be one of those years you just talked about where instead of being a building block, it's, uh, hey, they went around five hundred, put up a lot of stats, and they'll figure out their next problem next year.
0: Uh, Mike, we, we've had our Phil talking about um... – Uninspiring quarterback battles here in the Pacific Northwest because of what we saw in Seattle, but another, uh, you know, not particularly inspiring, inspiring QB battle happened in Carolina, and and I know Sam Darnold has the injury now, so it's it's kind of Baker Mayfield uh, for the foreseeable future for Carolina. How much is that going to move the needle at all for the Panthers this year with Baker Mayfield? What do you see as the potential for that offense?
2: It kind of moves them from like a five-win team to maybe a six-win team. You know, six-and-a-half win team. You look, at, you look at the opener, the big Baker revenge game, for example, their opener against the Cleveland Browns, and the Browns now have Jacoby Brissett, at quarterback. And with Baker Mayfield, you can kind of pencil in a win, whereas Sam Donald is like, oh, this is just a horrible game, and either team can come out. So they can get a win there. They can also just keep everything functional so that you can actually see how the offensive line develops, how the defense develops. My problem with Baker Mayfield's situation there is, if he's their quarterback of the future, he's only on a one-year contract. So it's not like they brought in Baker Mayfield and if he has a good season, it's like, ah, now here's the building blocks and they're going to put in with Brian Burns and Christian McCaffrey and J.C. Horn and everything. He's going to have that season and he's going to be out there on the market with Jimmy Garoppolo looking for the next contract. So I, it doesn't move the needle much for this season. Again, it keeps him competitive. It's just a weird example of bad roster building for the Panthers where even if he becomes the solution, come January, he just becomes the problem again.
1: You mentioned the, the win total there the, uh, for the, the Panthers not being particularly impressive, and that, that would be three mm. straight years for them being you know yeah. five- or six-win team. Uh, is Matt Rule on the hot seat, or are there any other coaches that you look at? I mean, I mentioned Mike McCarthy. I feel like that's one that's probably going to come up over and over this season. Yeah. Uh, are, are there any s- scenarios and situations that you look at in the league where a, a coach needs to have a, a good year to keep his job?
2: I mean, I I think it just crossed my path that Rule is like plus 250 to be the first coach to uh, leave his position. They don't call it fired anymore. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, John Gruden. They don't call it fired anymore. Leave his position. Plus 250. That's that's wacky odds. That is wacky odds for for that particular type of prop bet. So, you know, that's number one right now at the top. I think the Cowboys, everyone sees Sean Payton. If you're doing the Sean Payton move, you do wait until – the end of the season to do it. You don't like do that in week six or whatever. And, and just about everybody else is relatively, you know, a lot of first year coaches right now, or a lot of coaches like Nick Sirianni and Philly, Philly coming off of success. Um, a lot of coaches like Robert Saleh, where it's like, you're the Jets coach. There's nothing you can do. I do look at Cliff Kingsbury. I know he signed a big extension and that's the only thing keeping him safe right now. That's a team where I can't imagine the ownership group of the Arizona Cardinals looking at that team. If they go like, Oh, and December, again and saying, oh, we're really happy with this. He's another guy I would have a look at, but again, you have to be careful with somebody who just signed a contract extension.
0: Uh, Hey, Mike, we're just over a week away from the start of the NFL season. It begins with the Bills and the Rams next Thursday. Two very talented teams, obviously the Rams, the defending Super Bowl champs. Should those teams be looked at as the favorites in their respective conferences?
2: I think the Bills should be looked at and it's just to kind of pick your poison among the Rams. And the Packers, and the uh, and the Bills, three te- and the uh, Buccaneers, three teams that you can look at, and they've had injuries, and they've had departures, and you know they're reliant on three or four stars to get them through everything. So I definitely put the Bills in there, but you can see why again, uh, uh, Football Outsiders founder, uh, uh, President Aaron Schatz picked the Philadelphia Eagles there because all the teams at the top, like the Rams, don't have a solution for losing Aaron Donald, don't have a solution for losing Cooper Cup. The Buccaneers might have a, not have a solution for all the losses on the offensive line. The Eagles are the one team where you can lose a guy, lose another guy, even lose your quarterback, and you can still see that team winning. So I'm not putting the Eagles at the top right now. I'm just saying the Rams are part of a group, and the Bills remain prohibitive favorites in the AFC.
0: Mike, we always really appreciate the time. I'm sure we'll chat uh, when the season gets underway.
2: All right, take care and and enjoy your week.
0: Thank you. That is uh, Mike Tannier from Football. Outsiders getting us caught up after a cut day yesterday in the NFL, a flurry of interesting moves and looking ahead to the regular season a little bit as well. It is Sportsnet 650, Halford and Bruff, Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair filling in for Mike and Jason. 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. We are about 15 minutes away, Izzy, from chatting with Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau. And uh, I did enjoy this text came in, an early What We Learned. Uh, from Ian and Conquitlam, what we learned, Jamie and Izzy have more pull around Sportsnet than Halford and Bruff. <laughs> when was the last time the boys had a guest on the level of Bruce Boudreau? Well done, Jamie and Izzy.
1: Boudreau said he was going to come on specifically because yeah, Halford and Bruff weren't here. Yes, oh, they're exactly. on vacation. Perfect.
0: Exactly. Oh, it, those guys aren't there? Oh, great. I'll I'll do yeah, it for yeah. sure. I mean, look, I would love to take credit. A-Dog, I'm sure you would love to take credit as well, but it's not us it's it's, it's this happens on a higher level than is <laughs> above our pay grade as they say but uh, hey why not why not take a little bit of credit um we were also talking uh, earlier in the hour izzy about just the the incredible approval rating that Bruce Boudreaux built mm-hmm. and still has among Canucks fans in his short time in his position as Canucks head coach i and-
1: really want to see him for a full season. Like I'm really oh, yeah. I'm really curious to see how the team plays under that full season stretch. Just based on how he looked last year, it was it was such a, a limited time, but he was so excited based on what he was doing. Well, it's
0: going to be fascinating and, and let's not forget it's an improved roster as well, right? I mean, what was the biggest flaw in the team last year it was the penalty kill. Well, they have Curtis Lazar and Ilya Mikheyev to bolster that unit. That's not going to magically transform it into an elite unit just by virtue of those two players, but it's it's more tools to work with. Andre Kuzmenko Well, that's a huge X factor coming into this season. What can he provide? So, you know, it's not just that they played really well under Bruce. It's also that he has some new options, some new things to tinker with and an overall improved roster. And, you know, to the point about the approval rating amongst fans, Brendan and Nanaimo text in, well, last season Canucks fans wanted Benning gone more than the coach. I think it will depend on why the team is slumping. I see fans taking aim and blaming the players if losing continues to start the year. It would be interesting to kind of, because we did this a lot last year, right? When they were really struggling, it was kind of power rank who you're most upset with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who's most to blame for this situation? And I think there's a lot of blame to go around. For me, it was always one management, to the players, and then kind of distant third, the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Now, look, you saw the turnaround after Travis Green was replaced, and maybe maybe I was, uh, wasn't quite critical enough of the coaching staff that was in place. But I think this year, going into the season, kind of the start of the blame power rankings, I think Brendan and I was right. It's going to fall on the players first because they're the people who have been here longest. It's new management. It's a new coaching staff. And if we see more of those same issues crop up, yeah, as much as you can say, well, why didn't why didn't management change things up a little bit more? Why didn't they put their stamp on the team? As much as you could say, wait, I thought Bruce Boudreaux fixed this last year when he came in, I think first and foremost, it's going to be the players in the spotlight. Though That's who fans are going to be asking questions about.
1: Pedersen, for me, for sure, I really want to see how he starts the season, obviously based on last year. I mean, he's got to come out guns a blazing. Like it can't be 50-50 for him. He's got to be their best player. Yeah, and if he does, then the Bruce Boudreaux approval rating will somehow exceed one hundred yeah. out of one hundred. And like that's the thing. For me, this is my general view on coaches, and certainly in hockey and and, and baseball, probably less so football because of how tactical and strategic it is. Mm-hmm. But I'm like I'm always power ranking the coach third. And that's no disrespect to the work that they do. But I think the impact of that job, the management team, picks the players and the players are the ones that have to they have gotta go out there and
0: execute. a certain
1: yeah. level of talent. Like you're you're okay, you're, you're gonna be a first line center. You're gonna have to have that the talent to, to, to back it up and to perform at that level. But this is not even just that though. Like it's like Bruce Boudreaux has superseded the fact of even if we're gonna compare him to Travis Green from last year, like Okay, I think the list that you had there was reasonable. Mm-hmm. They're third, and yeah, we could nitpick some stuff, and and maybe on, on further review, wasn't quite as buttoned up as it should be. Bruce Boudreaux is like, people want him to, to, to be the man and to win, and it, it's not even like, I. it'll be like, if they get off to a bad start, I think that the fan reaction is going to be, don't do this to Bruce. Yeah, right, like, yeah. You're, that, that happens, Why are you letting which, Boudreau down? When Charlie Montoyo was let go by the Blue Jays, yep. there was you know an emotional aspect of the fan base going. You know the players let him down, and that always happens. Mm-hmm. And when when a coach gets let go, players are you know it's on us. We're the ones playing. Whatever. The, this is the fans are going to be the ones going. You're letting Bruce down, and by extension, letting us down. Why are you doing if, this to our guy? If Bruce. Is disappointed and sad, then we're disappointed and sad. And we can't have that. It is funny, though, because <laughs> the, there's no
0: player specific chant for any player, any individual player, right? You know, you might get a, if somebody's having a great season, maybe they'll give it an MVP chant or something, but. Bruce Boudreau is the only individual who has his own fan chat in Rogers Arena right now. And that's pretty remarkable. A texts in. So when Bruce gets the Canucks into the playoffs with a hundred plus points, will media media finally blame Green for his lack of preparation last season? And the coaching conversation in hockey in other sports, as you kind of alluded to, as he is always so it's always so interesting because it can be both, as Sat always says, right? Two things can be true at the same time. Mm-hmm. A team struggling can be not the fault of the coach, and it can also be the right move to let the coach go, right? Because sometimes it's such a cliche, but I really believe it, and I think if you look at the record of teams replacing their coach, sometimes you need a new voice, right? Sometimes that is the jolt that kickstarts a team. And that's certainly not to say that there were things Travis Green couldn't have done better Mm -hmm. last year, but I think it's very fair and completely consistent to believe it wasn't primarily his fault, but also that it was time to go, right? That they made the right decision ultimately in replacing him with Bruce Boudreau because, look, it was his fifth season as Canucks head coach. At a certain point, if there hasn't been enough success under a coach, it's going to be tough for the players to buy in, to bring that same level of energy for that guy. I think you see that across sports. So I don't think it's about a lack of preparation. You know, again, could you argue the the tactical focus was wrong? Sure, but it's not so much about Travis Green not being a good coach, as it is, it was just time to move on. It was time for a new voice, and we saw that with Bruce Boudreaux.
1: Definitely, and that's that's a big change that I've made over the years where my stance, and it was it was difficult for me to understand, oh, well, if you think this is a good coach, then why are you letting him go? Because we'd hear that often. Mm-hmm. Alain Vigneault gets let go after having the most successful period uh, in Canucks history, and my, my thought at the time not a very evolved thought, but it it was the thought was, well, if he's a, if he's such a great coach, then why are you getting rid of the guy? Yeah. But then you start to learn a little bit more about how the business works and that look, there, there are a lot of, Good coaches out there, and that yes, sometimes it is time to to do something different. And the co- coaches are very well aware of that. I mean, Bruce has talked about that. You know that he, he he's bounced around. He's yep. had different opportunities. There might be an expiration date.
0: He said yeah. it himself, right? That and that's not unique to Bruce Boudreaux. That's no, unique that, to the vast the majority of coaches. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, if an NHL coach lasts more than five seasons, it's very oh unusual. man, they've done very something unusual.
0: tremendously well. Yeah. <laughs> or that's... they've been in a very specific situation, right? Yeah. But yeah. Unless you're, you know, Barry Trotz or John Cooper or something, there's probably an expiration date for your for your coaching t- uh, tenure in one market. That's that's just kind of how it works. And uh, this text comes in from Peter in Cloverdale. Once Bruce came here and his attitude was so positive and happy, I realized that Green was very negative. I wondered if that hurt the players as well. And again, I don't know that it's necessarily that Travis Green was too negative, as maybe they needed something different, right? And how often do we see teams kind of whipsaw back and forth between the players coach and the disciplinarian, right? And the really tough guy comes in and, oh, he's too hard on the players and they need to get the joy back. So they bring in the players coach. And then a couple years later, it's, oh, it's a country club atmosphere. Yeah, they need yeah. somebody to bring, you know, bring the hammer down and put their foot down and really uh, show these guys what to what. And I what.
1: generally resist. The I don't like that it's going back and forth formulaic, like that. but yeah. it, that it's, it's formulaic that there, there needs to be something deeper to it than that. But also in some cases, simple changes are, are the right Sometimes answer. You need a change. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sometimes you need a change. And again, it, it, you know, the Peter pointing out that maybe there's too much negativity from Travis green, but I think it just comes down to, you needed a different personality uh, and you needed a different voice uh, to, to, jolt the team into performing. Alright, we're going to take a break. Bruce Boudreaux, Canucks head coach, is coming up next. It's Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650.